you have your Bibles, we are now in Mark 6. We are on a journey, a 16-week journey through the Gospel of Mark, and we are now in Mark chapter 6. Uh, the goal is to rediscover the heart of Jesus, but also to experience his will and his purpose in our midst. We don't want to just know about him. We want to experience him. Can you say amen? And so Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Are you there? You know, I'm not going to have slides on purpose because lately I've been feeling like we need to do a little bit more digging together. I, I, you know, remember Jesus said that you, you want to be a good soil, right? A good soil wants to receive the word, it wants to apprehend the word, and wants to do the word. So I think sometimes we're too laid back in this approach. We need to lean in a little bit and say, I need to receive. I need, I, God, I want you to speak to me. Is anybody a good soil today? You're ready to receive what God has for you. So I'm not doing slides on purpose because I want us to dig a little deeper and, 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 and say, God, I, I, I'm, I'm in with you. Can you say amen? So Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, says, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. We've been seeing this, right? Jesus goes, ministers to a certain village, and he comes back. And this time, he doesn't go back to Capernaum. He actually goes back to Nazareth where he grew up. Right? So Jesus goes to Fall River, then he's like, man, I got to go back to New Beige, like, because that's, that's home. <laughs> Verse 2, the next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all his wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? They haven't seen him in a while back home. Then... Watch this. One moment, they're like, man, this guy is amazing. We look at verse 3. Then they scoffed. You know what the word scoff means? You know the rolling of the eyes? I used to be a high school teacher. I used to tell the students, I'm like, what are you saying? She's like, I didn't say anything. I'm like, your eyes are saying things. Your eyes are like saying a lot. If I can take them out and show you. You know, you know the, the, your eyes are talking, your neck are talking. I didn't say anything. Well, you, your neck did. Okay, this is what this is. Scoffing. Okay. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown, among his relatives, and his own family. And because of their unbelief, watch this, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hand on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Now, if you've been following the reading, in Mark 5, Jesus is amazed at faith. Here, he's amazed of lack of faith. From one chapter to the next, you see two extremes. Here, he's like, man, that's amazing faith. Here, he's like, I can't believe you guys can't receive. Two extremes. So I'm going to title this talk, Belief is a Choice. Belief is a choice. That already preaches, right? So we've been seeing that Jesus goes out into the neighborhoods to bring 
the kingdom of God, to bring the good news, to preach the gospel, to heal, to exercise demons, to show the power of God made manifest in the group of people that he's ministering to. And he goes out and he always comes back to Capernaum. He comes back to, to the area basically where he grew up. And I want to give you a visual because sometimes it might help to see uh, how Jesus kind of spent his time. But this is a map of the place where Jesus spent majority of his life. You know, basically, if you look in the middle of this map here, it's the Sea of Galilee. That's where Jesus basically grew up. And Capernaum is where he started his, his ministry. But he, grew, he was raised in Nazareth, which is another small village. And he was, chapter 5, he's coming out of Gergasa and Gadara, where he cast out a demon from a man who lived in a cemetery. Pastor Stretch preached on this last week. So he's coming from an amazing moment in ministry, seeing incredible things. And he comes back home, and he's trying to do the same thing he did there, and people here couldn't receive. He goes all the way back to Nazareth, and he's amazed at their lack of faith. Are you tracking with me? And he comes home, right? What does he do? He, it, he comes home on a Sabbath, and he goes to synagogue, which is he goes to church. Right? I want to make a point about the Sabbath because it's so important here that the Sabbath was ordained by God. It's, it's the fourth commandment. The, God says, I want you to honor the Sabbath, to take a day of rest, to know where your blessings come from, to know that you are not God and, and, and that you have a God that provides for you, that takes care of you. And so one day a week, they take time, the Jewish people, in their calendar, Every Friday, sundown, Sabbath begins. And then it goes all the way to Saturday, sundown. Because in the Jewish calendar, they count the days by sundown and sun up. And so they would take time every Friday to Saturday to just decompress and be with the family. They would have family devotions, and then they would go to church. They would go to the synagogue to receive a word from God that would empower them to live for another week. And what I want to say to us is that we're no different. We need to decompress. We need to learn to take time and know where our blessings come from. And it's such a challenge because we live in a capitalistic country where it's all about going, hustle, bustle, do this, do that, work 80 hours a week, and then lose our souls in the process. Because the, you have to understand that, that the struggle of faith is this, is that if, if God is not your provider, then you become your own God. And you say, I got this. I provide for me. I take care of me. And then when things go wrong, you blame God. But you're not honoring him by taking time to be in his house and receive another blessing from him. And when he decompresses you and he empowers you and strengthens you to say, okay, now go out and live another, another week. Because you're not a human be doing, you are a human being. We live in a society where you're known by what you do, not by who you are. And that's a mistake. So think about this, right? A lot of times you hear people say, I don't have to go to church to follow Jesus. Well, Jesus went to church. So you must be smarter than Jesus. Some people are so smart, they're dumb. <laughs> like, they will argue this stuff, but it's like, wait, Jesus went to church? Jesus went to the synagogue every, every, every side. He was there learning more and teaching and receiving and being in community with other believers. And I know COVID has really kind of jacked that up and, 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 and made us all kind of spread out and being at home and all that stuff. But I want to say this to, to those watching at home. Let me tell you this. Listen, if, if you have a precondition, I understand. If you have people in your family who have a precondition and, you, and you're trying to stay safe and you don't want to get them sick, I understand that. But for the rest of you, it's time to come back to church. Yeah. Because... 
Because there's nothing like being in the presence of God with God's people and receive it in real time, in a real moment. As much as I love technology, some things don't translate. Some things will not be able to get into your living room. You need to be around other God's people like Jesus did. We need to follow the way that he did it so we can be blessed and be really his people. Can you say amen? So we have to be careful not to buy into the wrong narrative when people begin to, to put, Jesus, put words in Jesus' mouth. <laughs> I don't have to go to church. Yeah, great. I don't have to go home to be a husband either. I, I don't have to parent my kids. I just have to birth them. You get what I'm saying? It, it makes no sense. Like, how can you say you're a father if you're not present? Okay, y'all, y'all ain't ready. Dude's talking about I'm a dad. No, you ain't. You just birthed a kid. Are you parenting? Are you there physically, touching, helping? There's a difference. Can you say amen? And so here he is teaching in church. In church, he's teaching. They were first going, man, this guy, his wisdom, his power is amazing. And then, and then the next breath, they go going, He is. He grew up here. We know him. We know his family. Where, where, where did he get all this stuff from? You have to understand, this is an insult. When they were like, he's just a carpenter. What they were saying really is, what's your pedigree? What's your resume? What, what makes you think you have the authority to come here and do this stuff? Because in those days, usually a rabbi would, would learn under another famous rabbi, and that famous rabbi will endorse you and say, hey, you're ready now to go be a rabbi, to go be a teacher. But Jesus didn't need an endorsement because he got the endorsement for God the Father who said, I, I, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. And so, and so he comes on the scene. He's not part of, of, their, of their pedigree. He's not part of their resume. And they're like, who are you? Who, who do you think you are? You, you didn't go to Harvard. Have you, you, you don't have a PhD in this stuff. Isn't it funny how we will, we, will, we will look at people a certain way depending on their pedigree? That's why we make a mistake in our society where we don't ask people who they are, we ask them what they do. And that's what they're doing. Like, who are you? Like, who, who, who do you think you are to be doing this stuff? You have no resume. We don't know you. We don't know who you studied under. You didn't go to Baha'u'llah. You didn't park the car. Like, who do you think you are? And then, and then they, they dig a little deeper. They say, they said, we know your family. You're, you're the son of Mary. Now, this is Mother's Day, and we shout out to the moms, but this was an insult. Because in that culture, you were known as the son of your father, not your mother. What they were saying is, we don't even know who your dad is. There were rumors about how you were conceived. Who are you? You're talking about the digging, scoffing. Slander coming at him because they couldn't perceive that this is the Son of God. In one chapter, people were like, you are the Son of God. Demons were saying, you are the Son of God. He goes home, they're like, who are you? Demons recognize him, but they're too familiar to recognize him. We're preaching, we're going somewhere here. Jesus is amazed 
Watch this. He's amazed that people have this much faith to see miracles, but he's also amazed that you have no faith to receive. The only times you see the word amazed next to Jesus is either you have faith to receive, or my God, you can't receive. It's the only time that Jesus is amazed. Read the whole Bible, you see that. He's amazed of faith, and he's amazed of lack of faith in him. Jesus was so amazed that, that he said, a prophet is honored everywhere else except in his own hometown. The Bible says this. Look, I love how relevant the Bible is. <laughs> the Bible says they were deeply offended. Isn't that the buzzword of our day? Everybody's offended. Some of y'all offended right now. Some of y'all looking at me weird. I don't even know what I did already. You're already offended. Because we have bought into this narrative that if I don't agree with something, I'm offended. But not realizing that offenses can trap you into losing the blessings that God has for your life. We just, we just got a brand new book in the resource center. I highly recommend it called The Bait of Satan. And the whole premise of the book is, is how many people are losing the blessings of God because they're trapped by offenses. Because, you know, offenses don't come alone. Offenses are friends. Offense brings bitterness with him. Offense brings resentment with him. Offense brings unforgiveness with him. Offense brings toxiness with him. Offense brings negativity with him. Next thing you know, you're hanging out with everything opposite of what God is. So they were offended. They couldn't receive because they couldn't perceive that this is God in their midst. Can you say amen? What's amazing is that in chapter 5, he's in a foreign place. And a woman who had this issue of blood for years, the Bible says about 12 years, this woman had this hemorrhage. She couldn't stop bleeding. And she went to so many doctors. And if you pay close attention, it says that she has exhausted all her options. In other words, she had tried everything and, and, and went to so many different doctors and no one could do anything for him, for her. But she said she heard that Jesus was coming through. And she said, man, if I just touch the hems of his garment, I believe I can be healed. And in that moment, the Bible says he, she was healed. And what's fascinating about that story, though, is the fact that the Bible says there was a crowd around Jesus. So many people were around Jesus, touching because they want to get close to Jesus. But when she touched Jesus, Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples were like, what do you mean who touched you? There's so many people around you touching you. But she said, no, no, someone touched me with faith. <laughs> Understand. Understand the application here, my friends, all over this country today. Millions will go to a church building. They will be in a crowd, but in that crowd, a few people will touch Jesus with faith. Some people will live healed. Some people will live the same way. Some people will live offended. Some people will live liberated. Some people will live in their offenses. Some people will live in their miracles. It's all about your faith. Why? Because belief is a choice. She chose to believe Blows my mind that so many people were there, but one person got delivered. I told you a couple of weeks ago, Jesus said, what kind of soil are you? Because one out of four people will produce the right results. Depending on what kind of soil you are, you will receive what God has for you. Now, it's important that, 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 that we establish this, that there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. 
right? I think it's important to establish that because, see, God, God may work. With, I love what David Guzik said this. He said, he said, God may work with no belief, but not unbelief. He wants a partnership with us. So there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt to me is part of life. You're going to doubt. You're a human being. You don't see God. How can you not doubt? How can you have moments that you're like, man, I'm not sure what's going on here. Doubt and questions is very different from unbelief where you dug your heels and said, I will not receive. It's two different things. Doubt is part of the journey. Matter of fact, if you've never doubted, you're not human. Right? That's just part of the journey. If you don't have questions, you're not living. That's all part of this journey called life. But there's a difference between being doubtful and being defiant. Some people are defiant. They dug their heels down and they said, I will not receive because that's the choice that you made. If I want to give you a gift and you said I'm good, you made the choice not to receive it. No is a choice. But what's amazing is Jesus works with your doubts. Jesus will work with your questions. He has no problem with that. When we get to Mark 9, we're going to get to one of my favorite interactions that Jesus had with another human being. There was this man who had a son who was demon-possessed, and, and he wanted his son to be delivered and set free. So he brought his son to Jesus' disciples because Jesus was in the mountaintop praying. He was, he was alone, and the disciples couldn't cast the demon out. And so this father is desperate, and he's like, man... I want my son to be delivered, and, and I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't do it. And Jesus says this to this man. Jesus said, do you believe I can do this? In other words, are you willing to believe because believe is a choice? Now, let me say something here before I get to this application is that it's so funny to me that Jesus will always ask, do you want to be healed? It sounds like a dumb question, right? If you're sick or you're hurting, you're like, of course I want to be healed. But here's the thing. The reality is not everyone wants to be healed. Some people love their dysfunction. Some people allow their dysfunction to define them. Some people would rather be crippled than be healed because if you're, if you're, if you're crippled, you're a victim. But if you're healed, you have to work. <laughs> We live in a society where we rather be victims than victors. So Jesus has to come and says, do you really want this? Because if I touch your life, then you're going to have to activate your life and you're going to have to live your life. Some people will rather tell you what's everything that's not going to go well for them because they know, oh, that's just an excuse for you not to activate the power of God over your life because you'd rather be a victim than to be a victor. You ever talk to people, no matter what you tell them, they always have an excuse, but, 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 but. They have a but theology. But you don't understand. You don't understand. No one understands. You don't understand. You don't understand. You don't understand. It's like, well, then, then no one does. You're stuck. Because not every paralysis is physical. Some are mental. So he says, do you believe I can do this? And I love this man's response because to me, it's one of the greatest small prayers that we all could pray. This man said, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. What a great prayer. Like Jesus, I do believe. Is this that? I just don't know how you're going to do this, but I do trust that you can do this. And Jesus touches his son and heals him. Why? Because God doesn't care about your doubts. He cares about your faith. 
And if you keep reading Mark 9, Jesus goes on to say, he says, all I need is a faith like mustard seed. If I brought a mustard seed up here, you wouldn't even see it. It's that small. Jesus is like, all I need is a spark. All I need is you giving me permission. I'll activate the rest. Because if you know a mustard seed is tiny, but man, when it grows up, it becomes you. Well, I shouldn't do that because that's a sore subject. You, that could bring offenses right now. Bringing that guy back into our minds. <laughs> that could bring a lot of offense. Too soon, too soon. Okay. I'll just move on. But I love this prayer. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have questions. But it's different from defiance that refuses to believe, that refuses to embrace. Are you tracking with me? If you're taking notes, please understand this. We don't go to Jesus to get faith. Jesus is the object of our faith. Everybody has faith. You have to understand this. Problem is, what is the object of your faith? Everybody operates in some type of faith. Today, you already, you already operated in faith today. Can I prove it to you? You came into this building, you sat in that chair, but you never check if the chair can hold you. You just trusted that if I put my weight down, this chair's got me. You trust that this chair will have your back. That's what faith is, is when you trust that God has your back, that God is for you, and that God is with you. I didn't see anybody going under and checking all the screws to see if things are going to hold me. You just sat by faith and you trusted. Man, whoever built this chair built it for my weight, so I'm just going to sit down and trust it. Guess what? That's when you put all your trust, all your weight goes onto the Lord, and the Lord takes care of you. Hebrews chapter 12, if you're taking notes, verse 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the pioneer and the perfecter. So I don't go to him to get faith. I go to him because he is the object of my faith. He's the reason why I have faith in the first place. And every time I go to him, my faith builds because the more you spend time with someone, the more you get to know them. And the more you get to know them, the more you trust them. That's why it starts as a mustard seed, but it doesn't stay that way. Because once you begin to taste his goodness, what you do is, now you can retell the times that he's come through for you. So when you find yourself in a bind again, you go, wait, wait a minute, wait, I know, I know my redeemer. I know he comes through. I know he blesses me. And your faith grows. My friends, understand, Jesus is saying here, Familiarity breeds contempt. Worst, familiarity brings, breeds unbelief. So the greatest struggle that we're going to have on this journey, after a while, you become too familiar. And you get stuck in familiarity as opposed to seeing more of him because you got stuck just doing religion, not going to Jesus. Is a difference. See, the woman, I got to go back to that story because that story is powerful. What that woman did was activate faith, not magic. What's the difference? Magic is like, I'm just wishing and hoping. If I say the right words and I, if I hit the right equation, if I say rabba dabba dabba, something will happen. That's not what she did. You have to understand this. I got to illustrate this. Give me one of those prayer cloths. I need one of those prayer cloths. 
Because I need to show you what she did because this was no coincidence. This was no mistake. She didn't get healed by coincidence or mistake. She got healed because she tapped into the divine. You have to understand that, that the, the rabbis, the teachers, when they are in public, they will have a prayer shawl. And what they do in public is they will bring it over their heads as a sign of respect and reverence to God. And they would walk like this in the crowd. So when Jesus was walking through, he would have his prayer shawl on. And people would want to get close to him. But notice, the woman said, if I just touch the hems of his garment, look, she could have said, I just need to touch his hand or touch his shoulder or touch his face. She said the hems of his garment. There's a reason why she said the hems of his garment. Because in the Bible, in the book of Malachi, as a good Jew that she is, she understood that the Bible said that the Messiah would come with healing in his wings. And so when they would walk around, they would look like they had wings on. And she said, I need to test not magic, I need to test the word of God and put it to test. I need to go and touch where the Bible said to touch so I can get my healing and breakthrough. You don't just come to church, you need to touch the hems of his garment to see the healing, the breakthrough, and the power of God being made manifest. Don't just be in the crowd, you need to touch Jesus where you want to see your healing come to pass. That's what she did. That's why Jesus was like, whoa, someone touched me different. In other words, someone activated the word that I already spoken. And if I spoke it, it will come to pass. This is no magic, my friends. This is strategic faith. She took the word of God and activated it. See, most people will take the word of God and keep it in their heads. She took the word of God and applied it. Because faith without works is dead. So many people are walking around with so much Bible knowledge, but with no power and no fruits to back it up. Why? Because you can have all the Bible knowledge in the world, but if you're not activating it, you're not going to see the fruits of what God is capable of doing. So my friends, even though he was surrounded, today Jesus, his church is open all over the world, and many will be there, but not everybody's activating Faith to see the power of his goodness in their lives. So you got to ask the question, what causes unbelief? What causes us to get to this place of resistance and not receiving? The first one is what I, this is the obvious one, right? Number one is becoming too familiar with the divine. Problem is after a while, we become experts in church, but amateurs in the presence of God. We know what church looks like. We know the songs but we don't know the heart. We will just go through a building, but we don't have an appointment with Jesus to touch the hems of his garment, to see the power being made manifest. So after a while, people will settle for a religious routine as opposed to experiencing him. It's a sad reality, but this happens all over the, all over the world where we just get into a routine of going to church, but we're not seeing the power of God because we're not activating faith. Familiarity breeds unbelief, my friends. There are many unbelievers in church this morning. People, I like to call them Christian atheists. They call themselves Christians, but they live like atheists because they don't activate faith in their lives. Familiarity will breed unbelief. Number two, Jesus said it. He said, lack of honor Lack of honor. 
Notice throughout the book of Mark so far, Jesus calls himself the son of man. It's the title, the, the messianic title he gives himself. And he's, and he's quoting the book of Daniel who prophesied that the Messiah would come. But here in chapter 6, he says a prophet. He didn't call himself son of man here. He called himself a prophet. Jesus never says things for no reason. Why does he, why does he say a prophet is honored everywhere else except here? What he was doing, he was telling them, this has been your history. We've been sending you prophets after prophets, and you take them for granted. He was saying, remember, Isaiah came, Ezekiel came, Jeremiah came, Hosea came, and you took them all for granted, not realizing that, that God works through the vessels that he chooses to work. He doesn't work through the vessels that you choose. Now, hear me here, because this is a mature word. We live in a day and age where we're so offended. What we do is we bounce around looking for someone to tickle our ears. But I don't care where you go. If you don't have honor for the vessel that God uses, God is never going to touch you and bless your life. He was saying, listen, the prophet is the emissary. The prophet is the vessel that God chooses. Because no matter what we say, God chooses human vessels to fulfill his calling. If we don't embrace the vessel, then we're not embracing God. So here we are walking around looking for podcasts, looking for this, looking for that. It doesn't care where you go. If you have no honor for the prophets of God, then you have no honor for the will of God and the purpose of God. He says, a prophet. Why? Because he said, this has been your history. The first major prophet, Moses took his people out of Egypt, took them through that crazy process through the Red Sea, and they saw the waters being parted, and they get to the other side, and within days, they begin to grumble against Moses. Within days of seeing the Red Sea split, you would think that's going to feed your life forever. They begin to grumble and say, I can't believe you brought us here to this desert to die. Miriam the sister of Moses, who has a whole chapter dedicated to her because she had this prophetic worship, celebrating the goodness of God, coming out of Egypt and thanking God, exalting God, joined the crowd against Moses. And she said, go look it up. She, she did the same thing. She scoffed and go, who does Moses think he is? The only one that can hear from God. Go read your Bibles. The Bible says immediately, God gave her leprosy. In that moment, because she grumbled against the vessel that God chose. I'm telling you, this is a mature word. A lot of people are going around saying a lot of things, not realizing you're bringing spiritual leprosy into your life. You're bringing curse into your life. You're bringing not blessings, but curses when you are renouncing the vessel that God chooses. Fast forward, we get to Samuel, another prophet of God. Samuel was representing God on earth. The people said, no, 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 we don't want you anymore. We want a king. Everybody has a king. Instead of living in God's principle, they, they want the secular principle. We want a king. Samuel said, don't do this. Samuel goes to God and says, God, man, I can't believe they're doing this. They're rebelling. And God, you know what God says? Read your Bible. God says, don't worry, Samuel. They're not rebelling against you. They're rebelling against me. Because they, when they reject you, they rejected me. 
It's a lack of honor in our society. That's why a lot of people are not seeing blessings. Because God is a God of principle. God is a God of principle. God is a God of integrity. God is a God of character. What you do behind closed doors, God knows. What you say, the slander, the gossip, everything that, you, that your mouth speaks, God registers. All of it. I tell you, if there's one thing I want to teach my kids, I hope they catch this one, is no matter what you do in life, honor the authority that's in front of you. Even if you don't agree with them, let God deal with them, but honor God for putting the authority there. It's a lack of authority, honor in society, but to be honest with you, it's in the church too. We've lost the principles of God. We wonder why he's not blessing us. Why we're not seeing more breakthrough. I would encourage you, check your heart. Are you slandering the vessels of God that he put in your life to be a blessing to you? Number three, he told you there, he said, he said they looked at him just from a physical standpoint, not a spiritual standpoint. Just a carpenter. You know what that is? That's measuring people by worldly standards, not godly standards. When you spend more time with the world, you're going to think like the world, therefore you're going to act like the world. You know, it's funny, the world says, the world says this, right? The world says, the church has hypocrites, but the world runs on hypocrisy. The world runs on hypocrisy. But they're so inundated in it, they don't even recognize it. That's what's sad. So, so then we buy into the world and let the world define us, then we come into the things of God and we think we're going to see the things of God the way we see the world, and there's a disconnect. Because God doesn't operate the way we operate. The Bible actually says, God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He goes to the heart. You want to know about another prophet? David. When Samuel was asked to go anoint the king, the father lined up all his kids according to worldly perspective and said, man, these guys, these, these kids are amazing, man. Samuel, go ahead, take your pick. And Samuel was like, nope, nope, uh-uh, no. No, do you have any of the sons? He goes, yeah, I got this other kid, but man, he's a little shepherd. He's out in, in the fields, man. You know, he sees no king. He's like, go get him. And guess who God anointed? The one who didn't look like a king. Because God says, I don't look at the outward appearance. I go to the heart. <laughs> Telling you. They made a mistake and they said, hey, give us Saul. You know why they said Saul? He said, because he looks like a king. But he was a chump. Some people looked the part. Some people play the part. Right. Number four, the reason why we have unbelief is that we don't flame. We don't fan into flame the faith that we have. Faith needs to be fanned. Because faith will dwindle if he's not fanned. In the Old Testament, God said, the symbol of my presence in your midst will be fire. But he said, I will provide the fire if you provide the wood. He said, if you don't provide the wood, there will be no fire. But it will always be fire if you provide the wood. 
This is why I'm saying we can't just come and show up and thinking it's just going to fall on our lap. Did you bring wood? And if you're not sure what that means, fast forward to the New Testament. The New Testament says, hey, no longer do we do sacrifices. We are the living sacrifices. So in other words, we are the living ones to bring the word. We are the word to fan ourselves into flame, to say, God, start a fire in my soul that I can't contain, I can't control. I want more of you. Breathe on me, Lord. Breathe on me, God. I refuse to be a victim. I refuse to stay where I was. I came too far to stay here now, God. You need to flame into flame my life, God. I've seen what you've done, and I know what you can do. So fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. I refuse to stay dead. Fan the flames in me, God. Fill me up, God. Fill me up. Because if you don't fill me up, I'll be dead wood. You can't start fire with dead wood. Jesus said dead wood is to be cut off and thrown away. That's why he prunes so you can bear more fruit. So you got to fan into flame. You got to spark your faith. Where everything around you is dead, you got to choose to spark your own fire. This faith requires that you bring your own fire. You got to bring your own wood. No one can chop it for you. You got to bring it. That's why he says it's a living sacrifice that's holy and pleasing to God, that God is pleased with. You see, Jesus works according to your faith, not mine, your faith. My kids are going to have to operate in their own faith. All I can do is build a foundation for them, but they're going to have to take it from there and run with it. And I pray every day, God, I pray they have their own faith their own experience, their own desire, their own purpose, their own knowledge of you because I can't take them where you want to take us because at some point all of us have to fan into flame our own faith. I want to remind you of the definition of faith today. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the confidence of what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. So faith is confidence and assurance. Faith is confidence that Jesus is who he says he is. And he can do what he says he can do. And the assurance is that even when I don't understand how he's going to do it, I'm assured because I'm confident that Jesus is who he says he is. In chapter 11, verse 6, he says, without faith, without this confidence, without this assurance, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe Belief is a choice, that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know what that word earnestly is? It's a struggle. It's a battle. Have you ever tried to start a fire in the winter? It's a battle. You don't get it the first time. Anyone who has tried to start a fire knows that it takes a few times. It takes perseverance. It takes like stubbornness to say, no, I'm going to get a fire. He's saying, listen, if you don't earnestly seek him, then you're not going to see the breakthrough that you want to see. You know what's funny? I was telling the staff here the other day. We all, we love buzzwords in a church like breakthrough. But have you ever seen a physical breakthrough? Like if we, if we decided that hey, we're going to blow off this wall and build more, you don't just go, break. Break wall. Break wall, wax on, wax off. Breakthrough is you take a hammer to it and you go, ah, 
but you don't get it at first and you go again and you go again and you go again until you see a break on the other side. Too many people are talking about, yeah, breakthrough. I need some people who have faith to say, God, something is going to break. I'm tired of being tired. I refuse to stay here. I'm going to kick this door down in Jesus' name. That's a breakthrough. I almost wiped my mouth with this holy cloth. <laughs> I think it's anointed, so you want that today. My friends, I don't, I don't subscribe to this cute Christianity. Cute little prayers. Cute little kumbaya. Cute little services. Oh, that was so nice, Pastor. Thank you so much. I subscribe to a earnestly pursuing the will of God and the purpose of God. I subscribe to a church where you go, you got to break a sweat to know you had church. You got to ruin your makeup to know you had church. That's, that's the kind of church I subscribe to. Because here's the truth, my friends. Here's the truth as I, as I wrap up here. You can tell where there's faith in the atmosphere. You can tell where there's faith in the room. There's been times I've walked into hospital rooms to pray for people. And one of them is here right now. Nick, this is the power of God. I see Nikki over there. I got to testify about Nikki because, Nikki, you've been, you've been an answer to prayer. I was in the room with you where you couldn't talk. But you may not believe me, but I know in that room, you and I and Jesus had a moment. I know we had a moment. Because... I will take this to my grave. You couldn't talk, but your spirit was talking. Your spirit was saying, I believe, I have faith. <laughs> Tubes everywhere, overwhelming in the natural, but faith in the spirit. And here you are, a living miracle. I believe, I believe. I believe because I, I've seen it. I've seen God do it. I've seen God heal cancer. I've seen God do miracles. And I refuse to stop believing now. But God is still working. You see, my friends, the Bible says your eyes are the windows to your soul. I can tell when people have faith. I can tell when people are resisting. But it's a choice we all have to make. Because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He won't force his way. He wants you to receive by faith. Even when you have unbelief, he's like, I can work with that if you're not resisting me. If you're not stiff-arming me. All I need is a spark. I'll do the rest. That's why one of my favorite songs we do here is, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You know why? Because the Bible tells you the Holy Spirit has emotions. The Bible says you can grieve the Holy Spirit. 
We talk about this all the time as a worship team. I always tell them, I said, follow the prompting of the Spirit because we can do church without the Spirit. It would be cute, but it won't be powerful. Preachers, we can either preach in the Spirit or we can preach in the flesh. God will be the judge. But I can tell you as a preacher, there's a, there's a sweet spot of anointing and then there's a, and there's a terrible spot where you're just doing it on your own. And if you ever think I'm preaching at you, trust me, I'm the first one I preach to because I'm responsible for what I'm preaching. And I have to give an accountability to God. But you know what? The Holy Spirit is so sweet. If you let him, he will come in. If you resist him, he'll go. You know what the Bible says? God says he looks at the earth and sees and checks to see who who can I invade? Who can I touch? Did you know that? The Bible says he looks and says, where on earth is there faith for me to move? I pray that when he looks down on New Bedford, he says, I found a spot. Found a spot. Found a spot to move. And all of it is not going to make sense in our little brains. It won't make sense in the natural. If you were in that room with Nikki, it wouldn't make sense. In that moment, I can't operate by what I'm seeing. I have to operate by what I know. That God, he's a healer. That God loves to heal. Listen, according to your faith, as I wrap up in Matthew 9, Jesus is walking again. And there are two blind men. They heard about Jesus. You're blind, you've never seen it. But they heard about Jesus, they heard about his power, and they begin to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. You know what's, what's crazy? The disciples told them to stop crying out. Which is crazy. When people don't know what you're going through, they don't understand why you're crying out to Jesus. But I tell you what, this church, you're free to cry out. You're free to cry out. And what amazes me about this blind man is like they've never seen Jesus, but they had faith to say, I've heard that you can heal, so Jesus, Son of God, don't pass us by. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, look, do you believe I'm able to do this? Once again, choice. Because, hey, if I heal you, no one's going to take care of you anymore. Do you believe I can do this? They said, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes. Here's what I love about this. They never saw him, but they believed. Why? Because faith comes by hearing, hearing of the word of God. All you got to do is hear it and believe it. He said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. According to your faith. You brought something to the table I can work with. You see, the power of God does not activate until you do something. In this building, right, we have areas where we have motion lighting. If you go right here, right, you take a left and you go to our food pantry, there's a door. That door, if you peek through the little window, it's dark. But the moment you open the door, you step in, light comes on. 
Why? Because you've activated the light motion that's in there. Faith is about you taking a step and saying, God, I'm going to put my foot there, and you're going to meet me right there. But if you stop at the door and look in, all you see is darkness because you didn't activate it. You can have head knowledge that may, maybe if I go, something would happen, but I have to open the door and walk through because faith has to have legs for the motions to come on and faith comes on and healing comes on, power comes on, rescue comes on, the touch of God comes on when I activate my faith. That's why I love this woman. She activated her faith. While people were just hanging around Jesus, she activated her faith in Jesus. That's the difference, my friends. When was the last time you experienced something supernatural? When was the last time you you knew this is the touch of God? When was the last time you had an encounter that you could not shake because you knew this was God? Sometimes you hear saints go, back in 1975, the Lord touched me. And I'm like, yeah, 1975 was a long time ago. I need God to touch me today, this moment. There is nothing, my friends, I've read the whole thing more than once. There's nothing here that says God has stopped working. There's nothing here that says God doesn't do miracles anymore. There's nothing here that says the Holy Spirit doesn't move anymore. What you're going to find, though, you're going to find so-called experts who went to cemetery, I mean seminary, and told you that God has ceased to work because their experience has ruled them out to be unbelievers as opposed to activating faith and say God still does miracles. God will still operate. God will still break chains and lies. We become too smart for our own good. You know, the Bible says the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. It's a matter of power. It's a matter of seeing breakthroughs and healings. I don't want to just go through the book of Mark so we can get more head knowledge. I want us to go through it so we can get the experience of miracles and breakthroughs and and exorcisms and the power of God's spirit. When was the last time we prophesied and we spoke in tongues? And we let people who've had bad experience shape our theology. I'm here to tell you, listen, even though there's some weird people who've done that, I refuse to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I still believe. I still believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I still believe in, in activating the prophecies. I still believe in the miracles of God. My friends, hear me. Don't let the skinny jeans fool you. I'm a Bible-believing preacher. I believe in the Word of God. I believe in the will of God. I believe in miracles. I believe in breakthroughs. I believe in Nikki being healed and set free. I believe. I still believe. I choose to believe. And no one is going to talk me out of believing in Jesus. And if you believe Jesus, give him a shout of praise in this place. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.